Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. So welcome to this episode, which is a first in a series we're going to do exploring the theme of agency. When we look at agency, we're thinking both of intentionality for writers in choosing the path that works for you and making choices that are really authentic to you versus what you think everybody's doing or what you think editors or publishers want you to be doing. And then also we're getting really literal too. So the next couple episodes, I will be discussing finding an agent with two writers in our Writerly Love membership community who have found agents recently for their work. They've shopped around their book and they found an agent who's willing to work with them and champion it and help them sell it to a publishing house. We'll get a little bit more into what exactly an agent is because I think there are so many players in the literary field, I guess, that it's hard to keep track of what all of them do. Although we won't unpack that entirely in this episode, but I think that will be coming up in another episode where I speak with an agent and editor or someone who wears a couple hats and we'll unpack those roles. But just know that today's episode with Lacey Young, we're going to be talking about how she found an agent for her novel and what that's meant for her. She'll talk a little bit about the process that she's going through with her agent, which will help maybe demystify a bit about that role, and also the difficulty in deciding whether or not to go the agent route. Again, back to the idea of agency, and maybe not every route is for every writer. So you can listen to this episode to learn more about Lacey's novel, Dauntless. It's a YA historical fantasy inspired by Around the World in 80 Days, and she'll talk more about that exciting book that had us as readers on the edge of our seats when we were reading it in a course in my writerly love community. Also, she's going to talk about writing in multiple genres and what that meant for her in really navigating the road as a new parent and a writer and how to maybe not excel at both or find that balance, because of course we know that's all a myth, but just how she is navigating that balance or navigating that road and finding that balance. We'll also talk about the idea of agency and how she protects her heart, as she put it, in terms of being able to develop the relationships that she wants to develop in the literary community that work for her 
and feel fitting for her. So listen to hear more about agency, finding an agent, and just the brilliant advice that Lacey Young has for emerging writers. My name is Lacey Young. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm recording from Treaty 7 territory and the territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, so Calgary, Alberta. Thank you so much for sharing your writing journey with us, Lacey. You've been such a wonderful community member, and it's such a joy to see all your successes. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your novel? My novel is called Dauntless. It is a YA historical fantasy inspired by Around the World in 80 Days. And it follows a young British Chinese woman named Horatia who undertakes the first airship race around the world in a bid to save her family's home after her father willed it away as payment for a debt. And the holder of that debt is a mysterious young gentleman named Victor, who also happens to be the captain of this airship. So together with a ragtag crew, they fly around the world in a bid to win this race at the same time as Horatia tries to figure out the mystery of her father's death while evading the machinations of the race organizer, Maximilian Sharp, who will stop at nothing to make sure they do not win. I'm thrilled that you workshop parts of this novel in our whole book course. And as I recall, even the parts where we were reading it in outline format had everyone turning the page quickly to see what happens next. How do you create that tension in your story? And what are the things you learned by writing the novel about creating that edge of the seat experience for readers? I love this question. I'm so glad I'm being asked it because it's forcing me to reflect on my own craft and how I try to create tension in the plot. I think it probably helps to like define tension. So the way I think about tension is it's just that feeling of wanting to know what is going to happen to a character that you care about. And I think that word care is central to how you create tension. Readers have to care what's going to happen to your character or the I in your memoir. So part of creating tension is setting up that necessary context right from the outset of your work. Right from the first chapter, readers and you as the author have to know what does your character care about? What do they want in their life? And what do they stand to lose if they don't get it? As soon as you and the reader understand what's at stake, then you can start creating tension. Because as soon as something doesn't go in your character's favor, that's automatically a moment of, oh my gosh, what are they going to do next? How are they going to overcome this obstacle to achieve what they think they want? Or how are they going to overcome this obstacle in order to learn what it is they actually need? So that's kind of how I like to think about tension. And that's kind of tension on like a chapter scene level. You know, you create instances of it could be physical danger or emotional peril that force your character into situations where they have to make a decision in pursuit of what they want. But there's also tension kind of at the sentence level as well. One of the things I love doing is writing action scenes. And the reason I love writing them is because you get to play around with sentence structure and language. So one really simple way of injecting tension at the sentence level is to keep your sentences short, really keep them simple. So noun, verb, you know, those verbs are doing a lot of work. So that's kind of tension at that level as well. I've been doing a lot of thought of tension since getting this question. And I want to make it clear that One of the things I had to learn in revision for this novel is that tension doesn't require explosions. 
It doesn't require like a car chase scene. It doesn't require a gunfight. Tension can be really quiet. I was trying to think of an example. And for me, one of the best examples is Emma by Jane Austen. And there's a scene in Emma where Emma is stuck in a carriage with a character named Mr. Elton. And Mr. Elton is the man that she has been trying to set up with her friend, Harriet. And just at the moment when she thinks that she is about to clinch this union, he declares his love for her. This is a brilliant moment of tension because previous to this scene, Jane Austen has already established that Harriet is an illegitimate child who has very few prospects for her life. And she, at Emma's urging, has given up a union with a farmer in favor of a potential union with Mr. Elton. So now when the plans go awry, you realize, oh my gosh, Harriet is in so much trouble because this guy doesn't even like her and she's given up the love of her life because Emma has told her to. So that's tension that has been well-established before the scene. And then there's a second layer of tension because you realize this is a scene that goes to Emma's perception of herself. She thinks of herself as handsome, clever, and rich. This is something that Jane Austen has set up right from the beginning of the novel. And here we have a character who undermines that perception of herself. It's a very quiet scene. It's just two characters talking in a carriage. But suddenly we have, you know, romantic peril and we have the peril of the self all happening in one scene. So I like to use that idea as a way to show that tension doesn't have to be loud. I love what you say about how tension can be really quiet and the examples you provide are so resonant and helpful. Thank you, Lacey. So you've been helping writers in our community as well. One of the writers in the whole book course and in our course in our membership community, Mish Genet, told me about how an exercise you taught her on expanding and compressing really helped her with revising her memoir. Can you tell us how you picked up this technique? Describe a bit about how it works and how you applied it to your writing and revision? Yeah, so this technique is something I learned from Susan Forrest, who's a wonderful sci-fi fantasy author and teacher at the Alexandra Writing Center, which is the local writing center in Calgary. The way I think about expansion and compression is really a way of thinking about scene or showing versus telling. I think as authors, we get told to show all the time and tell, but the terms end up getting used so much that we kind of lose track of what it actually means. So expansion and compression is a different way of thinking about that. So expansion simply means expanding the time that you're taking to depict a particular scene. If you think about it in like cinematic or television terms, it's that moment, you know, in a sports game where suddenly everything slows down and you have the commentator analyzing each and every little detail and, you know, speculation about how the person must have been feeling in that moment. That's kind of what you want to do when you're expanding time some hallmarks of expanded time are like dialogue. You're going to have internal thoughts. You're going to be writing with all five senses. You're going to be showing the character might be sweating. Their heart might be pounding. All these things, you really want to linger in those details. And you use expanded time for critical moments of change in your manuscript. So change can be the character meeting the love of their life or the character meeting the main antagonist. There could be a moment of emotional revelation 
or even a physical revelation. You know, if it's a murder mystery, maybe they find a clue, a critical clue that's going to help them solve the mystery. So these really important turning points in your manuscript is when you want to use exploded time. Compression is exactly what it sounds like. It's sort of sped up time. So I like to think of, you know, in Lord of the Rings, you have the Council of Elrond where Frodo and the Fellowship are formed. And then you have a moment where they kind of go off into the distance and you see them all and they're sort of traversing through various settings. And that kind of like montage is compressed time. Nothing has really changed with your character in those moments. Things are kind of out of stasis. Like they're still doing stuff. The fellowship is still going to Mordor, but nothing really has changed yet. The bonds haven't been tested. Frodo hasn't been confronted with any more conflicts since stepping up to become the bearer of the ring. So it's a way of connecting the more important exploded time scenes. They're kind of like the connective tissue. That's how I like to think of them. And you'll often see them in books. It's usually cued by the author going, over the next few days, Maggie felt at a loss. She wandered through her day in a fog. You know, So that's kind of how you know you're in compressed time. And you need both to be able to tell a story effectively. Thank you so much, Lacey. That's really helpful and such a good tip for writers. You have an agent now. Huge congratulations. Can you tell us about your agent and how you found them? Why you went the agent route? What was the search like? What did you learn along the way? I want to know all the answers to all the questions. So I'm represented by the wonderful Michaela Watnall of Distal Goderich and Barrett, which is a New York-based agency with agents posted in L.A., I guess I'll start with why I decided I needed an agent to begin with, because I think that is a question that every writer has to ask themselves when they come to the point where they want to start publishing their long form works. I decided to go for an agent because I knew that I wanted to try and be traditionally published as opposed to self-published and traditionally published is sort of the easiest way to think about it is, you know, the books that you see in the bookstore most, if not all of them, will be traditionally published. And that means published by usually the big five, the publishers that are based in New York City. And there are sort of pros and cons with going either the traditional publishing route or the self-publishing route. But for me, I sort of had a sense that my novel, Dauntless, was commercial enough to fit into the traditional publishing market. And so that's why I wanted to go that route first. But of course, to be traditionally published, you need an agent because the publishers do not accept manuscripts submitted by authors themselves. So I decided, okay, I need an agent. Now what? (laughs) So what I ended up doing was after sort of educating myself, there are tons and tons of classes and resources online telling you about how to go about finding an agent. It sort of came down to three elements that I sort of needed to perfect in order to reach that stage. And that is having a really great query letter, doing my research as to which agent would be a good fit and creating a submission system for myself when I was sending my queries to these agents. Each of these things can be topics of their own. But after crafting my query letter, I dove into the research and the way I found my agent was just by sort of picking up books from my shelf, looking at where my novel might fit on the shelf and looking at the back, because in the acknowledgements pages, authors will always thank their agent as they should. (laughs) And so I was able to, just by looking at the books that 
I aspired to be published next to, I was able to compile a preliminary list of agents that I wanted to talk to. And then after that, I expanded my search further. There are a number of tools on the internet that can help you. So Query Tracker is a really great place to research agents. You can sort according to your genre as well, just sort of looking at agency websites. So, you know, you'll have a particular agent in mind, but you go to their website and you will find that they'll have other colleagues as well who will represent your genre. And that is a really great place to continue doing research. Manuscript Wishlist is also a really fabulous resource. So there's kind of two components to it. So an agent on their website will say, I'm looking for this kind of work. So that's a really good way of finding out if your work is a good fit for them. Also, if you happen to be on Twitter, there's a hashtag manuscript wishlist, which you can search through and find agents that way who might be a good fit. So my agent, Michaela, actually did make it onto my list of agents to query, but I did something different and it was kind of serendipitous. So before I sent out my query letter, I signed up for a service with Manuscript Academy where you could have a 10-minute consultation with an agent about your query letter. The reason I did this was because I wanted to make sure my query letter was as strong as possible before I submitted it. And the agent I chose for this consultation, her name is Amy Elizabeth Bishop, and she is another agent at Distal. And the way I found her was by picking up one of my favorite authors, June Her who writes historical mystery set in Joseon, Korea. And she is that agent. So I thought, okay, my novel is historically inspired. This might be a good fit. So I went into the call and we sat down. I was prepared to take notes on my query letter. And she said to me, Lacey, this is really strong. I have no notes for your query letter. But what I do have is someone who would be really interested in this story. And that is my colleague, Michaela Watnall. She said, if when it comes time for you to query, you be interested in querying my colleague, they would love that. So as it happens, Michaela was already on my list, but that recommendation just bumped them to the top of my list. And they were the first agent I queried and they are the agent I signed with. <laughs> so, um, I mean, there were a few steps kind of along the way, though I did query them first. I did also query other agents because, you know, you want to make sure you're giving your book the best chance of being put in front of other agents to be considered. But I guess long story short, I sent my query in May of 2022. I got a response from Michaela, Mike, in July, requesting a call. I got on the call with them. They said, love your book, but there are a few things that I would like to see ironed out. And this on this call is what's known as a revise and resubmit. So it's not an offer, but it is a chance to rework your novel for reconsideration. So they gave me their notes. I spent another four months revising the novel, sent it back to them in November of 2022. And then nine days later, I got the call for an offer of representation. So that is how I found my agent. I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it's an element of the agent querying process that gets mentioned, but doesn't get talked about because it's not as sort of glamorous as getting that agent offer right away, right? So I was very, very fortunate because when Mike gave me their revised and resubmit notes, they were so comprehensive. You know, we sat on the call for probably an hour and a half and they gave me sort of three big pieces. One of them was the inclusion of a new subplot. Another piece was revising the entire manuscript to get it as close as possible to the protagonist's voice and internal thoughts as I could. And so because their directions were so clear and 
most importantly, they matched my vision for the novel. I was excited. I wasn't scared. In fact, I was really thrilled to have somebody to speak to about my novel who understood what I was trying to do and who knew how to help me make it better. It has to be said that a revise and resubmit is no guarantee of an offer. So many authors have done a revise and resubmit, submitted their manuscript, and still received a no. So it was never going to be a guarantee. But the way I decided was I asked myself, are these notes going to make the novel better, even if I don't receive an offer of rep? And if the answer is yes, which of course it was, then for me, that was absolutely worth doing and dedicating another four months of my life to to executing those changes. The process was difficult because at the time, my son was two months old. So I was writing these revisions at my standing desk with him in the wrap against my chest, doing these revisions. And, you know, that's not easy, but... I think I was so sort of energized by the notes that I was given and confident in my ability to execute them to at least a level that I would be okay with, even if it maybe objectively it wasn't good enough, but at least to a level that I was confident about that I just ended up plowing through them. And I mean, I created a revision plan for myself and I did it in stages as like anything, you have to sort of break it down. So I sat down, I plotted out a new subplot. I looked through my manuscript, found places where I could insert that new subplot in and tie it all in together. And once that was done, that was the biggest piece. At the time when I started revising, I thought, oh, I'll do a pass for the subplot and I'll do another pass for the voice. But what I discovered is these two things are so closely interlinked that as I was going through the manuscript to insert the new subplot, I found myself just revising the voice as I went. And I think it worked really well because once you sort of figure out the subplot was the father subplot, which is key to my main character's sort of emotional journey. So once that piece was in place, it made it a lot easier to find her voice in the novel. That is a big lesson that I learned during revision is that usually the solution to one problem is found in the solution to another problem. They're all sort of interconnected. It can be hard to sort of separate them out, but that's okay. Sometimes actually it's just better to integrate it together. And in terms of whether I used expansion or compression, I think that was already in place from the early drafts that I had written. So I didn't have to do too much of that It really was just in relation to the subplot, you know, I already knew they were going to be big turning points. So I knew that I had to spend some time in those scenes and really flush them out. Thank you, Lacey, for really pulling the curtain back and showing us what happens behind the scenes and how a no can turn into a yes with an agent. That is really helpful and heartening for so many writers. I'm interrupting these words of wisdom from my guest, Lacey Young, who is a member of the Writerly Love community. Again, I'm just so proud of that. And I'm proud of all of our members who support each other with care, compassion, who go their own way as well, too, who provide great examples of agency and working on writing in their own time and in their own way. I would love to invite you to hone your craft and connect with these luminous creative writers in the writerly love community. This is my inclusive and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together and learn about everything from writing craft and getting published to building a platform and sustaining themselves as writers. It is a place to grow a luminous writing career with a community of brilliant peers. 
If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join the Writerly Love membership community. I offer a sliding scale pricing model. Don't think many people offer that in this particular field. So I'm also really proud of being able to offer that opportunity. And I try to do that to make it as accessible to as many writers as possible. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. Can you share any tips you might have for writers who are looking for an agent? What is the most important thing they should know before setting out? Maybe even how do they answer the question whether they should set out on that path? I thought long and hard about this question. And I think the most important thing that writers need to know when they're setting out for an agent search is that it's important to protect your heart when you're doing it, because this is a really tough, long process. And I don't think many writers and I have to confess myself as well until I started this, realize that getting the agent is just the first step. I think there's this perception that when you get the agent, it's like, first off agent, next stop, New York Times bestseller. You know, <laughs> And that is not at all how it works. So I think part of protecting your heart is doing the research to know what the process is like so that you can manage your own expectations. So in relation to the agent search, for example, like it's not uncommon for authors to send out a hundred queries before an agent makes an offer. So if you know that you can set up your submission system in a way that will protect yourself. So what I mean by that is you can decide, okay, I'm only going to query 60 agents before I give up on this project and move on. And I think just having that number in mind is important because then you're not going, well, should I continue? Should I stop? What should I do with this project? You've kind of already drawn a line in the sand. So for me, I said to myself, I'm going to query 80 agents because probably by that time, by that number, I will have gone through all the agents that I really would like to work with. And I would be scraping the bottom of the barrel to try and find somebody who would want this project. So I set myself a goal of 80 agents. Now, I was very fortunate. I didn't even get anywhere near that number before I got an offer. But it's not uncommon to go through many, many rounds of querying before you get an offer. So just knowing that and then taking your power back by saying, I'm only going to query this number is really important, I think. And then also having a kind of actionable plan on how you're going to query. So for me, I said, I'm going to query kind of 10 agents in each batch. And then I'm going to see what their responses are. You don't just kind of want to send out like a hundred queries all at once because A, it's too hard to manage. And B, you're not giving yourself the chance to make any changes if your query letter is not working, if your first pages are not working. So having a kind of plan is really important to protecting yourself and taking a lot of the heartache out of the querying process. It's still going to be hard because you have spent years of your life working on this thing, right? And you're putting it out there. And that's just part of the process and you just kind of have to work through it, but there are ways to somehow take the edge off of it. And then of course, once you get the agent, celebrating it is really important, (laughs) which I think, you know, in my rush to sort of like work on the novel more, I don't know if I really took it in as much as I could have. So celebrating it and then also realizing again, that you are going to have to do major revisions once you have partnered with an agent. And just that knowledge is going to help you manage your expectations. The reason I say that is because I know that I've had some writer friends who said, oh, oh, but you already did the revise and resubmit. Surely that's enough. But it isn't. 
and you have to prepare yourself because every agent is editorial. Now, the extent to which their editorial is going to depend on their personal taste and style, but they're all going to have stuff that they want you to go in and try and make better and fix because the goal is to make your novel rejection-free when it comes time to send it to the publishing houses. And just being prepared to do that work is really important. And then knowing that even if you land a book deal, you're going to have to go through the revision process again with the editor at the publishing house. Knowing that, I think, will help manage the impatience that can come with the process. And it's something I have to do myself constantly. Right now, I just got my notes back from my agent. So I will be embarking on my second round of revisions with them since signing with them in December. That's just part of the game and you just kind of have to get used to it. And it's just an important reminder that it all just comes back down to the work and the craft. So that's the way it is. I really value what you say about protecting your heart, Lacey. And also, I'm just really thrilled for you that you have this beautiful relationship with a really, you know, a champion for your writing with Michaela. So that's really cool. So as you know, our theme in the Writerly Love community at present is agency. And we're taking it both in terms of finding an agent, as you have, but also more conceptually in terms of intentionality and self-knowledge and reflection. So what does agency mean to you, Lacey? Agency to me means having the, the freedom to explore a creative life. That can look different depending on what stage you are in your life and your career and what's happening. But just having the time and the support to be able to do that is so freeing and so empowering. And for that, you need the support of other people. You need the support of community. Hopefully your family can provide that. I'm very lucky because I do have a husband and a mom who just (laughs) believe in what I'm doing. So those are all, I think, critical pieces to having that sort of agency. But of course, if you don't have it and it is something you want to pursue, then it's about trying to find ways to create that space so that you have the power to explore your creative limits. When have you felt the most agency in your life and writing life and the least and why? Obviously, querying can feel like a really disempowering process because you know it can feel like you're going around begging people to look at this manuscript. But I think like rejection, it is every sort of rejection that you receive when you're querying is an opportunity to make a connection. So even though it's a no, you've reached out and you've contacted this person and they have considered your work. That's a huge thing. And if you receive a personalized rejection, that's even bigger. So just trying to, you know, reframe thoughts about that is really helpful as difficult as it is. I think as well, when I became a mother. I was so afraid. I thought, oh gosh, like, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't have time because I have this child to take care of now. And I mean, it's true. Like children are the most wonderful time sector (laughs) in the world, but it's a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, yeah. But on the other hand, because I am on leave to be able to take care of my child, I actually have time to do all these things in relation to the novel, which I might not otherwise have. So I think actually you're more empowered than you think you are. And the circumstances are actually more favorable than you might otherwise think. So just trying to sort of work within those boundaries is necessary and crucial to keeping that fire going. Yeah. I love what you say about becoming a parent and the double-edged sword of that. I feel that sword myself on the daily 
I'm curious, or this question actually comes from our producer, Melly. What will you tell your son about this time in your life? Ooh, I think I will tell them that he was my lucky star because if he hadn't come into my life, I wouldn't have had the time and the space to think about this project. They both came into my life at the appropriate time. And I sent my last query 24 hours before I gave birth to my son. <laughs> so, you know, to me, they're the two major projects of my life and they both came in at the same time. And uh, I'm just I'm very grateful that they did. So I think that's what I will tell him. I love that about him being your lucky star. That's really beautiful. So this is a little tangential to agency, but it does come down to intentionally choosing how you spend your writing time. I know you write in many genres. I've seen your work in many genres and you shine in all of them. And many writers ask me about focus and whether they should focus on one project or genre at a time. So I'm pulling writers and I'm wondering what's your philosophy on this and how have you applied it successfully or otherwise? I love writing in different genres because they test me in different ways. For me, I started writing in nonfiction first because that felt a little more accessible. I was starting the very, very early draft of my novel at the time that I started writing nonfiction. But for me, nonfiction felt like a way to sort of establish my own voice, learn different skills and techniques while I was crafting my novel. And so for me, it didn't feel like they were at odds with each other. In fact, they complemented each other really beautifully. And many of the techniques that I learned through submitting my nonfiction, like through Lit Meg Love, I later went on to apply to the querying process for my novel. So if you have the ability to write in different genres at the same time, I say go for it. At the moment, I am sort of pivoting. So now I'm obviously switching, spending all of my time focusing on fiction. And for me, that's strategic because, you know, I want to make a career of writing commercial novels for young adults and possibly adults in the future. And as I've established, I have limited time now. So So I have to pick and choose where I'm going to spend my attention. And that's where I'm focusing at the moment. And as well, I mean, creatively, I like the challenge of being able to explore the themes that I explored in my nonfiction, but in a much more commercial way. I love all the stuff that you get in like genre fiction, like in romance novels, you know, Ford's proximity or like grumpy sunshine tropes or like, you know, great big action scenes. I love all that stuff. So for me, trying to take that stuff and marry it with the kind of deeper themes of identity and family, which you find in my nonfiction, to me, that is a really, really fun challenge. So that's where I like to spend my time. But I think, you know, for anybody who's writing in across genres, you learn lessons that you can apply to all areas of your writing. So if you have the luxury to do that, then absolutely, why not? I love hearing about how you're testing yourself with all these different genres and Yeah, just your enthusiasm and love for all this various writing comes through, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your care and your brilliance with us, Lacey, and for propping up our writing community. I have a final round where I'd like you to finish these sentences for us, please. So being a writer is? Exploration. Rejection for a writer means? Opportunity. And writing community is? Everything. Absolutely everything. Thank you so much, Lacey. Thanks. 
The Writerly Love community is my warm membership community for creative writers to get together and learn about everything from writing craft and getting published to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join us. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. So that is the Luminous Lacey Young uh, member in our Writerly Love community. I keep saying that because I'm really proud to say that and proud of her and the work that she's done to bring her YA novel to an agent and to life in the future, to publication. She's on that path and just, you know, working diligently at that, but also doing it in her own way. I love her advice about protecting your heart and being able to really navigate this world with as much agency as possible. I love all of her enthusiasm about writing too, and just really appreciate that she spent the time with us and shares so lovingly with our community members, both behind the scenes and then now publicly in this podcast. So thank you so much, Lacey. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson, and my co-producer for this episode is Melly Walker. Thank you, Melly, for bringing the questions to Lacey Young and doing the recording with her. Really appreciate it. Sound editing is done by Adam Linder of Bespoken Podcasting. All of our episodes have transcripts, and these are done diligently by Dia Jaffrey. Thank you, Dia. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent every week with some needed, necessary mental health breaks thrown in and some holidays, but mostly every week with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to write in multiple genres without a care in the world, I'd love to hear about it. If it encouraged you to choose your own path and write with agency, to choose a writing life that has a lot of agency and intentionality, or to choose to find an agent inspired by Lacey's story, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at hello at rachelthompson.co and tell other luminous writers about this episode, please. That's how most writers find us is by word of mouth. And I really appreciate the word of mouth that's going around. We have a lot of listeners out there and I just really appreciate that other writers have brought other writers to us. So you can do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or ask them to search for Write, Publish and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to follow your own instincts and with intentionality, go forth and write with agency. Here is Lacey Young with a territorial acknowledgement of the place that she's writing and working from. I'm recording from Treaty 7 Territory and the Territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, so Calgary, Alberta. And here is my co-producer, Millie Walker, also with a territorial acknowledgement. This is Melly Walker recording from Unseated with St. Niche Territories. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Tirabin Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.